Yes, sir. There they go. It's only an hour. Jeff Howe and Jordan Scruggs. It's now time for the award-winning midday program with Trey and BK. We've got a lot to get into over the next hour or so. Justin Wells of Inside Texas will join us at 1230 for his weekly visit. We'll talk National Signing Day 2, get some of his thoughts on uh, Texas football winter workouts, maybe some Texas basketball as well. We will talk some NFL. Of course, it is Super Bowl week after all. We will discuss the Texas Longhorns' big win in Fort Worth on Saturday. And uh, where are we at in society at the end of the show? Trey, a little tease for the people on that. Mm, Oh, yes. Austin Park and Rec, the Austin Park and Rec Department, had to roll back an anti-racism initiative because it turned out to be just a little bit racist. Hmm. Way to go there, Amy Poehler. Nice job. I didn't realize Austin was a part of that show title. The more you know. Mm-hmm. That's, that's coming up later. Uh, good weekend? It was a good weekend. Thank you to the legendary comedian Lenny Cook. I interviewed him for the uh, podcast and radio show last week. He invited me out to the mothership. On Saturday, got to sit in the balcony during his early set on Saturday. It was hilarious. San Ahmad, who is a regular at the Mothership, and C.J. Landry opened for him. It was a phenomenal night of comedy. Had a great meal at Ease Off beforehand, an Israeli spot on the east side that you and I ate at a little while back, BK. And that was really good, too. And then yesterday was a good family day. The kids had basketball games which I'm slowly finding myself taking over my daughter's basketball team. Started out as an assistant. The head coach is kind of all over the place. So whatever. It's no big deal. That happens. You hate basketball. That is a big deal. I don't hate basketball. I hate what basketball has become. I like the sport at its foundation. Okay. I can't imagine like third or fourth grade girls basketball is saving hoops and bringing it back to what it was in the past. It is third and fourth, I believe, is what this level is. And, yeah, there's a lot of chuckers at this level. I'm not going to lie. We have one kid on our team who's probably the best kid in the league, best, like, basketball player in the league. Not best kid in the league, unfortunately, because, well, he likes to talk back to the refs when fouls are called and when he's called for double dribbling, even though he does double dribble every time he dribbles the basketball. And that bled over into him starting to backtalk us yesterday. So I'm trying to figure out the best way to uh, deal with somebody who clearly has no problem popping off to uh, somebody who's just trying to help him. I'm not mean. I'm not doing anything. He's upset and arguing that it's a double dribble. It's like, well, stop touching the ball with your offhand, man. Mm. Put the other hand, put your other arm behind your back. You're good enough dribbler with that hand that you don't need to touch the ball. You keep doing it. I don't know what that nervous habit is. He's like, I know, I know. I'm like, no, you don't because you keep doing it. So stop doing it. It's up to you. You got to coach him up better, it sounds like. But if he's he's already talking trash to the officials, he's got a future in this sport. Like, that is what I am looking for. All right? I need someone who complains, who cries. I need flops. If this kid is not flopping yet, we've got to learn him how to flop. Then he will be ready to play basketball at the next level. Yeah, I'm just trying to get him to be less of a ball hog. Hmm. He only passes to the other really talented player on the team, but come on. this It's not like it's a league full of good players. A lot of these kids are still learning, and this, you know, nobody even knows how to dribble properly 
to begin with. And they're getting called for double dribbles and traveling and picking the ball up and dribbling again and losing their pivot foot. My opinion, this uh, third grade league is a little bit advanced for uh, the skill level, but whatever. I won't I won't fight that battle. I'll just say that to you. There you go. Do uh, the youth refs still say you can hug your mama, you can hug your daddy, but you can't hug the other team? Oh, I haven't heard that one yet. The, mm. the one ref, because it is one ref for our game, regardless of the time we are, he's really good. He'll go up to the kids and he'll be like, hey, this is what you did wrong. This is how you can do it differently. So oh. league setup is really good. It's just a matter of um, just a matter of these these kids learning how to play basketball and the ones that think they're better than they are listening to uh, those who are trying to help out. We got to do a post-game press conferences for you because that was well done right there. Like you praise the officials randomly in the middle of the week saying they're doing a good job. It's tough what they do, but I like the calls that they make and they explain it very well. And then you're just berating them throughout the entire game on the sideline. But it's professional. You know, you're getting in the good graces of the refs right now. That is that's smart. Good on you. Well, you know what? I'm trying to learn. There you go. All right. Uh we go from third and fourth grade basketball to college basketball as the Texas men's team picked up a massive victory on the road against TCU on Saturday, 77-66, the final score. Talk about a game of runs. This game was a game of runs. TCU jumped out to an early 10-point lead. I was a little nervous that Texas was going to get run out of the gym, but the Longhorns over the last 12 minutes of the first half just took it to TCU to the point where they went from down 10 to up 11 at recess. And it's like, all right, great. We're on our way to a nice road win. But TCU started chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. They tied it with about nine minutes left. The game was tied again at the under four timeouts. And then the Longhorns closed out the game on a 13-2 run. Really, it was Max Acemas, Trey, closing out the game on a 13-2 run. He scored the last 13 for the Horns. And they get a big-time Quadrant 1 victory on the road against a ranked opponent. Big time. Bounce back by Texas. Huge win. You could argue, with the exception of Oklahoma, that, uh, or I guess with the uh, Oklahoma game included, this is their second biggest win of the year, considering that it was a ranked team on the road. Max Acemas just proves why he has been one of the most elite scores in college basketball history we see that stat thrown up non-stop during games on espn of the next legendary college basketball player that he's passing on the scoring list he wasn't having a great game offensively bk until that last 325 but a combination of threes man one play and then made free throws at the very end to, to really ice things helped elevate the longhorns to this victory yeah he was awesome and like you said he was not having a great day shooting the ball only eight points in the first no, 36 minutes of that contest, but when Texas needed him the most, he stepped up. And he's been so clutch this year. And like you think about the game winner he hit against Louisville at MSG, the game winner on the road at Cincinnati. He's had a couple of other moments and big spots where he's just stepped up for this team. And yeah, like a guy with that much experience, a guy with that much talent, he's a guy you should be able to rely on on those spots to go out there and get you big buckets. And he's that. And it's it's been a while since Texas has really had a guy like that. Like, I know Max Acemas has some limitations with his size, with his lack of strength. He's not the most athletic guy out there. We know what he is on defense at this point. But as a pure scorer, it has been a long time since Texas has had a guy like Max Acemas. So, uh, this team's going to go as far as he carries them. He's obviously not the only good player this team has. They need help from everybody else. But, man, Acemas is uh, the straw that stirs the drink for this team. And once again, close game on the road, hostile environment, all the horns down shirts in the stands. 
at Schollmeyer uh, for Max Aismas to just quiet the crowd over and over again like he did. Incredibly impressive. And yeah, in that game, he surpassed Danny Manning on the all-time scoring list in college basketball. Again, the last month, I think he's passed four people on that list. Larry Bird and Danny Manning are two of them. Like, Max Aismas' legacy ain't going to be the same as those two, but anytime you're in the conversation with those dudes, let alone breaking their records, that means you're doing something right. That was uh, cool to see him do that and the team get a win in the process. Yeah, he's going to have a really nice career in Europe once his eligibility in college is over with. Probably a little bit too small to play in the NBA, but he should play professionally somewhere. About Dylan Mitchell with another inspired effort, although I do have to ask, is this guy going to miss dunks in every game going forward? Like multiple dunks in these games too? What the hell is going on there? Uh, I don't have an explanation for that. Like, you're right. Mitchell has played maybe his two best games of the season in these last two games with what he did against Houston and then the TCU performance. But, yeah, multiple missed dunks in each of those games. I don't know. He's maybe too athletic for his own good. Yeah. I'm not quite sure. He like that on some of these dunks. It's like he's so high that it's like, oh, I got a foot higher than I thought I would. I'm completely miscalibrated now. Yeah, that's weird. But, hey, if he's going to play the, the the way that he has played, I guess we'll take the trade-off of a missed dunk or two. But yeah, he's looked like an NBA player the last week. And, and we've talked about this, Trey. Like, Texas needs a third guy. Ace Smith and DeSue are the two best players on this team. There's, there's no debating that right now. And those two guys are good enough to carry you to some wins. But when you're playing in this league against the competition you're seeing night in and night out, you need somebody to be that to be that consistent third guy. Tyrese Hunter feels like the guy it should be, but we can't rely on him at this point. If Dylan Mitchell can become that dude who could be a nice option scoring the ball, we know how good he is defensively. We know he's a willing rebounder too. He's just a freak athlete. But if he can give you double-digit scoring a night and just be that uh, third weapon that you have on offense, that'd be huge. And, you know, the Houston game and the TCU game, even though one of those was a loss, two of the better performances we've seen from Ronnie Terry's crew this year. I don't think it's a coincidence that those uh, may be Dylan Mitchell's two best games of the season. He's been really good. And they need to stay ready because they've got another ranked team coming to town tomorrow night. So another opportunity to pad that resume with Iowa State. Yeah. And the rebounding, too. I mean, this has to do with Dylan Mitchell, but... Uh, you know, Texas had been out-rebounded in six of their previous seven games. They they out-rebounded TCU by 13. They were just quicker to lose balls. Like, they they more of an emphasis on boxing out. They were quicker to lose balls. Uh, they weren't giving TCU a bunch of second chances, which was what killed them in the Houston game. So, you're not going to out-rebound everybody by 13. But for them to actually, like, be with somebody on the glass, I think that was big, too. And I will say that's a little bit about TCU as well. I'm not going to act like I know this TCU team all that well, but TCU plays typically with four guys around the three-point line. They take a lot of threes. They can make a lot of threes too, which is what allows them to come back in games or even beat teams because they're shooting so well from the outside. But that makes the whole rebounding prospect so much easier for the opposition. But hey, you got to start somewhere. And if you're getting out-rebounded by TCU, that's a, that's going to be a really bad look. Some other teams in the conference – Maybe a little bit more understandable, but you do have to start somewhere. And yes, Dylan Mitchell uh, being a force on the glass on both ends is huge. And Texas, maybe not regaining an advantage on the boards, but not getting beat so badly against some of the better teams on the schedule who have uh, pretty good talent down low. Yeah, I will say this on the rebounding front. Uh, according to Ken Palm, TCU was a top 20 offensive rebounding team in the country hmm. before Saturday. So even despite their size, like, 
I haven't watched all TCU. I watch more college basketball than you. That's not a flex. I'm a loser. You actually have a life. Uh, they're, they're usually better at rebounding than they were, so I'll give Texas some credit there. But either way, like just to see that is nice. And they're in a good spot right now with the tournament. Like I looked at Lenardi's bracketology this morning, Trey. He had Texas as a nine seed. Wow. Like that's that's safely in. They're not last four in. They're not last four buys. Like they are in right now. And like you said, another ranked team tomorrow. This ends the six straight ranked opponents. And Texas right now three and two with a chance to get to four and two. If they can do that, that'd be big. Uh, the work's not done, of course, but they're in a good spot right now. And they've got two games at home this week, man. Like these, they, they need to win these. They have three road wins in the Big 12. That's more than any other team in this league, which is crazy to think about. Yeah. They, they have to protect their home floor. They're going to be favored tomorrow against Iowa State, even though Iowa State's ranked and Texas isn't. And then West Virginia comes to town on Saturday. They're the second worst team in the league. I know they beat Texas once. But like distribution time. Yeah, it feels like these are two games that Texas should win. And if they do that, then hell, they might be a seven seed next week. And they'll be in really good position to make the dance. And if you can go 2-0 and in these next two games, BK, I don't know why this is. I guess this is just Big 12 scheduling. They get a full week off before they travel to Houston on the following Saturday. So you get a lot of time. You get a nice rest. And uh, you can formulate uh, maybe something a little bit different game plan-wise to try and get at the Cougars one more time, but this time knock them off, unlike you were, uh, or unlike uh, what ended up happening a little bit more than a week ago. No, I guess it was exactly a week ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh all-star break, I guess, for Texas basketball. Something. Yeah, I think every team in the Big 12 has that this year, where they just have a week where they don't have the midweek game, right? Usually it's midweek and then Saturday. That's what everybody has. Uh, but yeah, no midweek game for the Longhorns next week. So you're right. I mean, Houston's really good. They got boat raced by uh, KU on Saturday, but Houston's still one of the best teams in the country. Uh, having extra time to prepare for them will be nice, but don't put the car before the horse. Uh, find a win tomorrow night too. And uh, if you do that, I think you'll be feeling pretty good about Saturday and you might see Texas back in the top 25 if they do win both of these games this week. Was that game at Fog Allen on it Saturday? Was. Yeah. Yeah, beat down. Beat down. Not close. Um, it's different up there, Houston. It's a different atmosphere up there. Uh, but yeah, the Big 12 right now, Trey, before we get into a little Texas football convo, there are 12 teams within two games of first place. 12 teams? Yep. There are 14 wow. teams in the conference. 12 of them are within two games of first place. So you've got KU and Houston tied right now at 6-3. and three. And then, yeah, 12 teams between six and three and four and five right now in this uh, in this league. Insane. So as as rocky of a start as it's been for Texas and as much as they've struggled, I wouldn't pick them to win the Big 12 right now. But like they they are still very much in the mix with about half of as a matter of fact, half of conference play left. They've played nine. They've got nine more in the Big 12. They they still have a shot to at least be in contention for this conference championship. But I think uh, a more realistic goal for this team is obviously to get into the tournament, hopefully be playing well going into the month of March. They've done a lot in the last two or three weeks to uh, solidify their spot with the committee. Still work to be done. Nice win for them. Nice win for the Texas women, too. They beat uh, number two K-State at Moody Center yesterday. Back-to-back ranked wins for Vic Schaefer and company. That's been really cool to see. All right, before we uh, get into some football, Trey, how about a word? For our friends over at Big Hat. 
That's right. Big Hat Spirits, redefining the cocktail in the can. It tastes delicious and it's low on BS. You know that ladder matters as much to me as the taste. And Big Hat Cocktails in a can. They have no syrups, no gluten. They're non-GMO, BPA-free, 100% natural, real spirits. No added sugar in a lot of these and a variety of flavors as well. Ranch water, jalapeno ranch water, the margarita, prickly pear paloma, blackberry smoke, Texas mule, and that margarita mocktail you hear Bucky talking about in the mornings. Big hat cocktails in a can. They are delicious and you can find yours all over Central Texas. That includes Specs, 34 Wine and Spirits, uh, Near Me Liquor. That's the closest one to me that I can go grab those big hat cocktails in a can. Northwest Hills Liquor and so many more. You can actually find the location nearest you that carries big hat cocktails by going to bighatspirits.com and stay tuned because there are going to be more places that start carrying those big hat cocktails. Yes, indeed. Shout out to them. Also, shout out to our great friends over at Covert BK. Hi, I'm Dan Covert with my wife, Hayden. Welcome to Covert BK. Our newest location in the gorgeous hill country includes Buick, GMC, Cadillac, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, and Ram, and hundreds of pre-owned and certified vehicles for you to choose from. We have three service departments that are ready to take care of your car, truck, or SUV with 86 service bays to accommodate any repair and get you in and out quickly. Come visit us today to select the vehicle you've been dreaming about. Covert, born and raised in Austin. Oh, yes. Much love to the Covert family and some love to Tom McKay over at Audiovisual Consultations. You see these two TVs behind me? That was uh, done by AV Consultations. They're the best in the business, and they've been in business for more than 35 years, hooking up thousands of Central Texans with the home TV setups of their dreams. It's the easiest New Year's resolution of all time. Like, Make your home the place to be for friends, for family, for yourself. You can do that with that custom TV setup from AV Consultations. Just give them a call, 512-255-8678, or check them out online at avconsultations.com. Trey, should we get to our guest here? I think we should. All right. He's uh, he's so excited. He's on a couple of minutes early. It's a damn good thing, too, because we're excited to have him on. Our weekly spot with the great Justin Wells of InsideTexas.com and, of course, the Inside Texas Football YouTube channel as well. Jay Wells, what's going on, brother? Hey there, gentlemen. Happy Monday to you guys, and uh, hope you guys are doing well. Same to you. Thank you very much. Is that a Detroit Tigers hat that you're rocking today? Uh, I prefer to call it my Magna P.I. hat. Um, all my hats have reasons and names and this is tom Selleck. i love it i love it well trey and i were going to get into this debate today and we figured we'd ask you as a guy who roots for texas and knows this program as well as anybody in the world uh we're trying to figure out the if you could pick one game for the longhorns to win this fall and obviously, you've got some tough choices, right? you got the first A&M game since 2011. You've got OU looking for revenge against them. You're on the road at Michigan in week two. You've got Georgia coming to town. I mean, there are a number of options you have to choose from. But, Jay Wells, I'll go to you first. Like, if you had one game that uh, you would pick Texas to win, they could just win one next year, which one uh, is most important for you? You know, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, you know, we get those questions quite a bit during the offseason. You know, this is this is hardcore off seasoning 
if you if you know what I mean. Oh yeah. And and you know, I, I used to have different answers year to year because every season's different. You know, twenty twenty four is going to be really different. Joining the SEC, like this is this is a whole new uh, slate of places to visit on the road and 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 teams to host. Um, but my man Ian Boyd made a really good point one time when we were talking about this, and he said the answer never changes. It never changes. Doesn't matter what season. Doesn't matter what year. Doesn't matter what the schedule looks like. The answer never changes. And he's right. It's OU. There's nothing more important. No matter, doesn't matter who they're playing. They've got the reigning national champion week two. It's not Michigan. They're hosting Florida, the Gators. I can't remember if they've ever hosted Florida or played the Gators. It's not Florida. Hey, Georgia. They're going to play Georgia. Like You're playing probably the number one team coming into the country for 2024. It's not the Bulldogs. It's Oklahoma, and it always is, because that game determines so much, especially in, on, on the larger scale of things. Because at Texas, if you can't beat Oklahoma, doesn't matter what you do, you can't keep your job. And so the answer remains. The most important game for 2024, gentlemen, is OU. Trey? So the guaranteed win doesn't guarantee a loss someplace else, correct? It's just the one guaranteed win on the schedule? Yeah, this is not, oh, if Texas goes 1-11, and 11, who do you want the one to be okay. against? This is if you just had to pick one that you could for sure call a W right now on February 5th, what would it be? Just making sure we're not working against any other metaphysical forces here. I'm going Georgia, guys, because if you beat Georgia, who is the best team on the schedule, they will be the best team on the schedule as we work our way through the 2024 season. Yeah. I think all of those other big games will either have a way of working themselves out or that will be a sort of proving ground for Texas in that moment that they are as legitimate as they've looked up to that point in the season. Michigan's going to be down next year. They are losing a lot of guys on both sides of the ball, especially offense. And then obviously losing Harbaugh is a big deal too. The Oklahoma game is always tough, but if you can beat Georgia, then I would imagine not only are you going to find your way into that expanded college football playoff at the end of the season, you may have that first round bye to go with too. Mm. Yeah, interesting thought. I mean, Georgia, guys, I, you, listen, That you're not going to hear me argue a whole lot. <laughs> I mean, listen, Kirby Smart, I feel like Kirby Smart – for the last couple of years had been selling those guys on, hey, they're all against us. No one believed in us. We were the underdog, kind of like the whole Patrick Mahomes, Chiefs fake beef stuff they've been doing for the last couple months. Um, Kirby Smart's been selling that to them. I don't know if they can continue to buy that because that team absolutely destroyed Florida State, and a lot of that team is coming back for 2024. And, and you know what? You know, the new UGA – might want some revenge for 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 his brother, you know. Bevo Bevo almost handed it to him in 2018 in the Sugar Bowl, and you know, God for you know, God rest his soul. The the the, the, the that most recent Uga had passed away, I believe, and so now the new one he's trying to you know keep it together for his kinfolk. He wants to, he wants to get some revenge. They want to make sure they they they, they beat Texas, but it's Oklahoma, gentlemen. Hmm. You beat the Sooners. That is bragging rights for a year. 
you beat the Sooners. You, 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 I'm with Ian, man. I got to trust my man, Mr. Boyd. There is not a bigger win year to year on the schedule than the Oklahoma Sooners. What do you think, PK? Uh, I think you can make a strong case for both of those. Uh, a lot of people, Bucky and I talked about this last week, and I think the majority of response we got was for AM, just because it's the first matchup the between the two sides in yes. the last 13 years, yes. right? And, you know, it's your first year in the conference. You want to stick it to them and shut them up. And obviously, you recruit against AM like you do against Oklahoma. So even Jason right here is like, yeah, every other year I'd pick OU, but this season it has to be AM. Like, I think just people are so ready to take it out on little brother again that uh that that's the one i think people want more than any other hey listen <laughs> in this coming season i have no problem with people selecting texas a&m none you know especially in my household you know where i grew up 70 percent of uh, my family you know went to texas a&m and so you know the holidays are always a blast <sighs> but um, the one thing you have to understand about AM is that with Oklahoma, you know where you are. You know who you you know where you stand. You know where the, the, the marks are. Because Oklahoma's been a perennial conference champion. Oklahoma's been to multiple college football playoffs. You're gonna know yourself a lot better after a game at the Red River shootout. You guys have both been there. You know it's the most intensive game in any realm top to bottom in college sports like it is a fist fight and so that's why i have them over a&m because a&m hasn't done anything they've been in the sec for a well over a decade i think they played georgia once um they haven't finished high in any of those conference in any of their in their division more than second or third maybe more than once and so if A&M had won games, if A&M had been, you know, a pretty good team, if A&M had been a decent program, I'm 100%, yeah, that, that that's a game we should also 1A, 1B sort of thing. But A&M is, a win over A&M is great in state, but it doesn't do anything for you nationally. It doesn't do anything for you in the bigger picture because they don't win. And so it, with Oklahoma, you you know when you beat Oklahoma, you're beating a team that is religiously winning the Big 12 and going to the playoff. Yeah. I think the correct answer is whatever the hardest game is on the schedule. And the two hardest games on the schedule as it stands right now are Oklahoma and Georgia. But I understand why plenty of people would want to beat A&M that first time back too. I just think absolutely A&M is going to be a little bit down this next year. Not to say Mike Elko can't turn things around because he is a good coach and People may be sleeping on him a little bit. I'm still leery that that's going to be a good fit in College Station. There were a lot of Aggies clamoring for Ryan Day, and the Elko hire felt like a letdown to a lot of folks who root for AM. But the hardest games on the schedule right now, Michigan included, by the way, are Oklahoma and Georgia. Yeah. And don't forget, you know, you know Michigan, obviously, but they're losing a lot of guys. They're losing a ton of guys. Um and so, and, and, and with A&M also, don't forget, you know, we, Texas left a sour taste in their mouth, specifically Justin Tucker, the last time they played. So yeah. you're going to get an absolute Super Bowl from that team. Like, they're going to play like they've been, like they're Popeye, eating spinach right before kickoff. <laughs> like, it's going to be, they're, they're going to play so far over their heads, it won't look like the Aggies. Even the A&M fans are going to are gonna be surprised. They'll look around and go, my God, 
Who is this? this whoa. And so you're going to get one hell of an effort from the from, from College Station when, when they get together in November. And I am as eager to see that game as any other game. I want to see Texas and Texas A&M more than I want to see any other game next year. I grew up with that game. I love that game. But my answer remains the Sooners. Yeah. Uh, my answer, by the way, guys, is Colorado State because I hate Jay Norvell. So I really want to win that game. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I have, I have no beef with Jay. And, Jeez, what did Jay do to you? Oh, uh, his time as an interim OC did not go well. All right. And I'm still upset about it. Okay. Wasn't he responsible, though, for the single most yardage output, like his first game calling plays? Gerard Hurd against California at home. <sighs> Didn't Hurd go for like. 350 something like that individually 400 maybe i mean the kid did incredible and if uh nick i can't comb my hair rose could have kicked the extra point that would have been an outstanding overtime game but man that the last time i think of jay norvell i think of man he threw gerard hurt out there and looked like a genius within about two hours yeah that was an electric game until that uh missed pat i was in the student section for that one I almost rushed the field to fight Nick Rose. And by fight, I mean just bring a clippers for his hair. I was I was so mad about that. You know, he uh, could do backflip, you know, extra points. And my whole question was, why the hell weren't you going doing a backflip? Yeah. You can't kick it normal. But if you can kick it doing a backflip, buddy, that's the routine. Come on. Still stinks. Still stinks. All right, Justin. Uh, National Signing Day is on Wednesday, apparently. I mean, it's it's so different now with the early National Signing Period in December, and there hasn't been a ton of smoke, at least to my knowledge, but you're as tied in as anybody when it comes to Texas recruiting. Is there is there anything Longhorn fans should be on the lookout for, any potential surprises, or does it feel like this class is what it is at this point? No. Class is done. Class is in session. Uh, they're one of those professors that if you're a minute late, they lock the door. Remember, they'd lock the door on you. Mm. It's like, oh, hell. So I got to go back to my my apartment and go back and take a good nap. Oh, it's just terrible. No, uh, th this clock, this class is locked and loaded. They're in 80 percent are already prepping for their first and second tests on campus. Huh. They've been in workouts for over two weeks. Like th th this thing was wrapped up pretty pretty early. The only remaining guys were Ryan Williams, the wide receiver out of Saraland that reclassified, just dynamic guy. He was going to visit. He didn't. He re re recommitted to Alabama. That one's done. Uh, Auburn might try one more cast at it, but I think that's done. Alex Foster, that big defensive tackle out of um, Mississippi, he was in the mix. He was going to looking forward to an in-home from, from Sark and those guys. But as soon as Bo Davis took the gig at LSU, Foster said, Thanks, but no thanks. And and they moved on from there. And so, man, it's so weird. That first Wednesday in February was like Christmas. Like, I remember so much of that buildup and, and, and the original signing day and how much fun and how exhausting that day can be, but in a great way because there's just so much going on and you didn't have to worry about, was he signing early? Was he signing late? Was he flipping? Was he taking another visit? Like, man, there were so many things that went into it. Granted, mid-December does have a lot of that vibe, at least from my standpoint. It, it does, especially when Texas signs mostly early enrollees that are going to be on campus within a month. But, you know, it's I'm a little sad because I used to look forward to it. 
Mm. And this year, you know, it's like, hey, sign National Signing Day's here. What's the content? Well, that's assigned to everybody already. Everybody's everybody's doing their thing. I think there's four or five guys that didn't sign that are finishing out their their senior year. Guys like Melvin Hills and Santana Wilson. And so it, it's kind of anticlimactic. There's just not a whole lot to it yet. So I, I hate to, to to put water on it, but mm. man, there's just nothing there. And you know what? It's, that tells you Sark and those guys, they handle business when they needed to. There's nothing wrong with grabbing guys in the last cycle, especially when you always, it seems like there's always a handful of elites that decide to wait. And, and what's funny is if you talk to those guys a lot of times, I remember they would tell you, man, I don't know if I'm going to sign in February. I might, I might wait. I might take it to March. There's some recruitments where guys were taking it to April in May. And Sark's like, hell no, that dog don't hunt. We're going to sign early. You're going to enroll early and you're going to go through spring ball. That way we know exactly what you are and what we're going to have going into 2024. So nothing big's happening, fellas. I still come to InsideTexas.com. We're still going to have a ton of stuff from the recruiting side and from the team side. But as for signing day uh, 2024, I think that door's closed. Yeah, as a matter of fact, y'all gave an update on how off-season workouts are going. So what are some nuggets based on how Tory Becton has these guys doing their strength and conditioning training over the last month or so? Yeah, you know, it's always fun uh, to, to catch up with sources when new guys get on campus. I love it. I'm a big new numbers guy, you know. What's, <laughs> who's going to wear the numbers? What numbers they wear, you know? I, I, for whatever reason, even as a kid, I always liked that. Um, and people think, well, there's not a whole lot to glean from, from the underwear Olympics so far. You know, early morning workouts, weightlifting daily. Uh, they do it within pods, which is essentially position by position mostly. And then the younger guys, well, it takes them a little while before they go up to the varsity, so to speak. It's usually the freshmen. Um, but, you know, catching up with a couple people, <laughs> there's a couple guys that have turned some heads a little bit. One of them is Savea. The defensive tackle transfer out of Arizona. Uh, I had a, I've had a couple people tell me that guy is uh, legit, but but we knew he was good. But he has this mindset. He's very businesslike. He's intense. A weight session is a rep. It's intense. I think he's playing up for his uh, de facto contract year this year. I think he'd like to go to the NFL draft after this season. And if he puts together a, a good year, we've seen that defensive tackle room get drafted rapidly over the last two seasons. And we're going to see two more picked relatively early when it comes to April from that room. And so Savea, that's a guy that people were wondering, how do you replace Sweat and Murphy? Well, I don't know if you can replace 900 pounds, but you can do it in the aggregate, money ball style. And I think Savea is going to be a guy that, that, that really ha- ha- you know helps out and turns heads. Andrew McCuba has major leadership skills, guys. That guy is just pure professional. He knows what he wants to accomplish. He's back home. He's happy. Even more so, he's got buddies he grew up with on this team. Jade Barron and Michael Taft, you know, guys from the Syntex that have known each other a long time. And so it's kind of like a somewhat of a homecoming for Makuba. And I think that's big, you know, because because he's a guy that, that we had penciled in as playing nickel. And then when Barron decided to come back, now you've got a little bit of a, some riches there. Now you're going to put Makuba back at, you'll put him at field safety. And, 
And then you're going to see, you know, Derek Williams and those guys battle for the other spot. And so I think McCoop is one that people need to know. Um, Trevor Gooseby, you know, everybody talks about big humans on the offensive line, especially Kelvin Banks, Cam Williams, DJ Campbell, those guys. Trevor Gooseby doesn't get mentioned enough. That guy is 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 an outstanding athlete, and and he has progressed to the point that he can be a valuable valuable left tackle in this system. Give him another year, and so I like his progress. And I'll give you one. I'll give you one freshman, um, Brandon Baker. I'm told that he needs to put on some weight, needs to add some strength. That's natural. I don't know any incoming freshmen that don't need to do both. So that's pretty that's pretty simplistic. But apparently he is a better athlete than they were anticipating. And, and he looks the part. He looks like a million bucks. And so this is a guy that I think might surprise some people in that first year. And I can't wait to see spring ball. I can't wait to, to hear about practice reports and in the orange-white scrimmage because we're going to see all these new portal guys. You know, the wide receiver room is brand – I mean, you couldn't have put up another, a new coat of paint. Like that room looks different. And and who's gonna be the 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 man coming out of there? Is it Matthew Golden? Is it Isaiah Bond? How much is Silas Bolden gonna contribute? You've got you got Isaiah Bond right now. He's probably the fastest receiver on the team. He's clocked at 22 miles an hour. And then you got freshman Ryan Wingo, about 6'2, 205, 210. He's clocked at 21 miles an hour. And so a lot of oh, you can you, even though there's not a whole lot going on, if you dig right and you ask the right questions, you can find out some fun stuff about what this 2024 team is going to be. It looks like Quinn Ewers is, is trying to take that mantle of being that that real vocal leader. I think you can see some more of that from the other side of the ball, obviously in Barron, and I think Anthony Hill's going to be a guy that becomes a, a uh, more of a leader coming in, not just by example, but because he works so hard. And listen, when somebody, when one of your best players is one of your hardest workers, that's how leadership happens. I like that. I like that. What was Arch Manning clocked at? Like 45 miles an hour last year, I think. That sounds right. Yeah, but that was that, but that was in a school zone. And so <laughs> he got a ticket. Uh, it, it, it couldn't be identified because he lost his ID. Yeah. But, you know what's funny, Kellner? Arch is deceptively athletic. Like I, I watched him a ton in person in high school, and you should watch him on in on the basketball court. You know him and Will Randall, they won the state championship in basketball their junior year. They 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 can do some stuff on the court, and Arch has some athleticism. It's sneaky. You don't expect it because you didn't see Eli Manning taking off out of the pocket. I don't know if Peyton Manning ever ran out of the pocket. You know, besides being chased. Archie, though, Archie was that dual threat. And I wouldn't put Arch in the dual threat category so much, but he made a play during one of the scrimmages last August where he was leaving people. And he also made another play in the in the in the orange-white scrimmage last year in April in the spring game that had people shaking their heads 6'4, 225, 230, and you can move like that. Yeah. Arch Manning, he uh, long as he can keep his ID, I think he'll be all right. Hmm. Mobile Manning. Last thing for me, Jay Wells, since you know you brought up the number conversation, and I, I, I'm with you on that. I care about what a numbers get assigned to the new freshman class whenever they get to campus, and obviously the transfers too. So I'm going to ask you, you know, the, the big deal, those single digit numbers. That's what everybody wants, and whenever I see somebody be given a single digit number, I assume that they are going to be a stud. So. Of the guys that Texas brought in, transfers and freshman recruits in this class of 2024, 
who could be those single digit guys to where maybe the coaches are like, oh no, those guys are worthy of getting one of those prime numbers. Colin Simmons. Colin Simmons better get a single digit. Mm. If Colin Simmons doesn't, it's because he chose not to. Mm. And I, I think he would look pretty good, actually. I think Gavin Holmes has number nine. And so it, it, I can't remember if he was eight or nine. He might have been eight. It's going to be yeah. interesting. Brooks Colin Simmons eight, Gavin's home. Oh, Brooks was eight. Gavin Holmes was nine. That's right. So, yeah, Simmons may have to do some some negotiating. <laughs> you know, kind of like kind of like Quinn Ewers did with Jatavian Sanders when he came on campus. You know, Jatavian was wearing number three, and Quinn had his pretty eyes on that one. Um, Colin Simmons is a guy I think would deserve that. Uh, Xavier Fulsame, I think, is a guy that could be a single digit guy. Uh, Kobe Black, I think, is a guy that could be a single digit guy. Ryan Wingo could definitely. Be a single-digit guy. I'd be surprised if he's not. Um, that's a good question because it it pretends to be a better player. You, you, you know, and I know in a lot of ranks, if you want that single digit, you have to be a dude on the field. That's kind of the motivation for those guys. You want to be a single digit, you got to be a leader. You gotta you gotta be a guy that's on the field making plays. And so that's always a good question. My big thing is, is anyone gonna take the, the number zero on offense because Jatavian Sanders is now gone. And I gotta be, I gotta be honest with you. I'm not a fan of zero. I, I don't know why. I mean, I didn't like Jim Otto when he was double zero for the Raiders in the seventies. And I'm not that big of a fan of it. Now I know it was, you know, trendy because you know, it was a new number. All of a sudden the, the, the NCAA said, Hey, you can use the number zero now. And I thought, why in the hell would anybody want to use the number zero? <laughs> then Overstone just stood up and me, I got to have that. Da, da, da. So I'm curious how that's going to, who's going to get that one on the offensive side, if anyone does, if anyone does, because Anthony Hill obviously has it locked down on the other end. But those are some of the freshmen that I think are going to be worthy of, of, of getting in that conversation and, and having that single digit. And also, don't forget, you got what, eight portal guys? Yeah. So uh, and you have three receivers and <laughs> receivers love they they love a single digit number like they love targets and games like that that's part of their mo and so that's a good question I, I'm eager to see once these things get distributed. Justin, we're less than a week away from the Super Bowl. You got between the Chiefs and 49ers on the Monday before. You know, I don't bet against Patrick Mahomes. I never have. I felt like. It's 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 easy money, like why would you bet? Especially if he's the underdog, like it just it just works out that way. But I gotta tell you, I feel like this last month or so, the Chiefs are like the fake beef team. Like they're they're trying to turn everything into a thing. The villain, you know, Kelsey talking about I'm the villain. We want to be the villains. Man, your girlfriend just won like nine M Grammys last night. Not a villain. Um, you know, Patrick Mahomes was like, yeah, they seem to always do that. Baltimore, the kickers seem to always be on our side of the field. Dude, you're messing with Justin Tucker, who's the greatest kicker in the history of the sport, who is like the most non-confrontational person in the world. And you were a total jerk to him. And you tried to turn around that on beef. So here's my thing. San Francisco could not have played any worse in that first half against Detroit. And they, they got really in sync in that second half and just started clicking. If we see that second half 49ers team that we saw against Detroit, I think San Francisco wins. 
And don't forget, the first time Mahomes won a Super Bowl, they beat San Francisco. And Kansas City was losing that entire game until, what, the last five or six minutes, San Francisco was winning. You give Kyle Shanahan two weeks to game plan. Brock Purdy continues to, to, to play really good, solid game managerial type ball. And the best defense in the NFL is, on, is for the San Francisco 49ers. That, that front is just undeniable. And so as much as I hate the San Francisco 49ers and I hate the 49ers, just like I hate the Eagles, just like I hate the Redskins, and just like I hate the Giants, and just like I hate the Packers as a Cowboys fan, I don't like San Francisco. But I think they're the team that's not trying to create stuff. They're the team that's like, you know what? We got a squad now. We got dudes at every spot. We got a running back in Christian McCaffrey who might be the best in the NFL. And like I said, that defense is salty. And so I, I just have a feeling this might be the first time I bet against Mahomes because there's something there, man. There's something with San Francisco. It's been there all year. It's been there all year. And so I might change my mind by Sunday, but right now, I think San Francisco's a field goal better. Mm. This is the last time you're on this show, so you're not allowed to change your mind. It's it's out there. It's public. So you bet <laughs> you better be right, Justin. Those are the rules. Oh man. Great stuff as always, my friend. We'll keep uh getting people over to insidetexas.com. Y'all make sure to check out the Inside Texas Football YouTube channel as well. If you haven't subscribed to that, you're missing out. Great content from Justin and Joe and Eric and Ian and Paul and the whole team over there. They got you covered. Great job as always, my friend. We'll uh, talk to you next Monday. Hey, gentlemen, nothing but love. Likewise. There he goes. Justin Wells. Follow him on Twitter as well at Justin Wells 2424. All right, Trey. You got a little where are we at in society for the people. I'm going to go live. Do we have time? You got a bolt. We're short. We're short. So can we do the recorded today? And maybe another spot. And we'll just have to hold off on the Austin Parks and Rec Department having to nix an anti-racism racism initiative for being a little bit racist until tomorrow. Okay. Well, here's a word from our great friends at Pest Wranglers. Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers. What are you doing? I'm making a silly commercial like other companies so people will remember our name. But we're not like other companies. Anyone could see that from our five-star reviews. But how will people remember Pest Wranglers? Well, once they try us, they'll never forget that we are the most effective, reliable, and affordable pest control company. I guess you're right. Pest Wranglers is the best at pest control, wildlife management, termite pest control. Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers. What are you doing? Hey, it couldn't hurt. Pest Wranglers, 512 or find us on the web at pestwranglers.com. Yes, indeed. Apparently, uh, did you see Patrick Mahomes Sr. got another DWI over the weekend? Uh, not good. I think that's his third. So Mahomes Jr. will try to match his Super Bowl total to his dad's DWI count this weekend. And yes, he will. That, that's uh, Look, Pat Mahomes, former professional baseball player, He's got a name for himself, but they're not the distraction I think uh, your son needs the week of, you know, the Super Bowl. Maybe uh, there's never a good time for a DWI and you shouldn't be driving drunk, but can we, can we not get an Uber the weekend before the Super Bowl where your son is like the favorite to be MVP? Can we maybe try to avoid that headline? Pops, come on now. Not good. Bad timing, Pops. But then again, familial embarrassment is par for the course for Patrick Mahomes.
I think that adds to the Mahomes legacy. Like, I mean, he's already off to maybe the best start we've ever seen for an NFL player. And the fact that he's got to, like, overcome a brother who's gotten in trouble before and is an, a, a ginormous piece of shit. Uh, a dad who can't download the Uber app on his phone, even though that family is a ton of money. Uh, a wife who uh, gets probably more crap than she deserves, but she gets a lot of crap for random reasons. Like, uh, impressive. More impressive that he's done all of that on top of all of the on-field stuff for me. And he's not only overcoming some on-field adversity, but his own family is sometimes a detriment to him. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shit show on that side of things. And he's risen above not even the ashes. He's risen above the trash to already become one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And the guy's not even to his 30s yet. Yeah. Amazing. It really is. All right. You got a bounce? I do, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna leave you high and dry here. Chip's Chip will be on any minute. Yeah, Chip. I love Chip, but if you told Chip twelve fifty five and he said yes, it'll be one o'clock when he comes on. Well, shit. <laughs> uh, the funniest thing back when I was producing uh, the bottom line with Chip and the late great Sean Adams is, you know, Sean and I would be there. Sean would get there. The show started at six a.m. Sean would be there at like five. I get there at five. And then there, there are times where it'd be six o'clock, the show starting, the intro music firing off, and we'd hear Chip just in a full sprint, just running to get into the studio. Sometimes on time, sometimes not so on time. That's, uh, I love the guy, but he's the whole late to your own funeral bit. That's him. That is him. Oh, boy. Well, um, hmm. Thoughts on uh, Cliff Kingsbury to the Commanders while we've got you? Uh, why did Cliff Kingsbury fuck over the Raiders? Did that have to happen? Did we have to get that far down the road to where it was pretty much being called a sealed deal and then he backs out to go join the Tommies? Is this because he gets to pick his quarterback at two versus having to work with Garoppolo, Aiden O'Connell? I don't even know who the Raiders quarterback is going to be this next year. Is it as simple as that? It's got to be, right? I mean, it's like, look, Kingsbury's looking for a job. He wasn't going to get a head coaching job right now. But uh, of the offensive coordinator vacancies that were left, Washington's probably the most attractive because you're going to have, you know, outside of one player in the draft, your pick of any other player coming out of college. So, you know, you don't know what Drake May is going to be. You don't know what Jaden Daniels is going to be. But the unknown of those two is better than the known of Jimmy Garoppolo right now, is it not? So if you're trying to like ultimately become an NFL head coach again, which I assume is Cliff's goal, you don't want to hitch your wagon to Jimmy Glass, who gets hurt every year. And when he doesn't get hurt, he's not very good. So I, I think that's it. Like, And I, I had this, uh, this conspiracy theory, and I have this conspiracy theory that I think Washington's going to trade up from two to one and take Caleb Williams. I have started to wonder about that myself and the – Bears end up selecting Harrison at two. That that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. It does. Yeah. So Kingsbury was with uh, Caleb Williams at USC, where he's been the last couple of years, and maybe that uh, that parallel makes sense there. There he is. All right, guys. I got a bolt. Thank you, Chip. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. See you, Trey.